0: welcome to second rail i've been away for a while and i'm getting a couple of interviews out in pretty tight succession but this one is something that i think you're going to enjoy if you have an even vaguely philosophical bent you will find my conversation with gerard michaels fascinating gerard is an old friend of mine who i've known since my young almost post immediate post-college years when i uh when i was working at the University of Chicago part-time or in, over the summer, and uh, he became good friends with a friend of mine, and we got to know each other and, quite frankly, uh, argued a lot about not only philosophy, but about politics, work, life, dating, and everything else. Uh, Gerard and I haven't talked in a long time, and so this conversation represents a, an interesting cross-section of me rekindling my friendship with him and diving into what he loves most, which is kind of the philosophical underpinnings of major things in life, like parenting, work, uh, and friendship. We talk about in this conversation, we talk about not only his education and his favorite philosophers, we talk about Peter Singer, Michel Foucault, we talk about um, what is quality writing, what has happened with philosophy today, whether it's dead or alive, what's most important with philosophy. We talk about whether binaries still have value uh, or dichotomies. We talk about how philosophy plays out in the working world today, in America, but also in countries like France, where they put philosophers on money. We talk about the idea of evil, ethics, social duty, we talk about organizations like the Landmark Education that offer and purport to offer assistance in a kind of a crossroads uh, conversation of ethics and and how to live. We talk about his what he's optimistic about. About we talk about art and we talk about a lot about political philosophy. Um, so without further ado, I give you my conversation with Gerard Michaels. So, Gerard, thanks for doing this with me. Uh, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a really long time because since I started. I started this podcast as a way of when I left a job under auspicious political attack circumstances, I was doing this to gain professional credibility is what I originally did. And then I kind of discovered I really just enjoyed talking to my friends about things that I cared about. So... You've been on my list forever because uh, a) you take strong positions on things, and b) uh, you have a basic philosophical bent that outstrips what I know and what and that uh, that just generally interests me and and I think it would, be, it would be fun for a listener. So I wanted to have a chance to talk to you. So thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks, John. I'm. Uh... I know we tried to get together for your uh, something called the uh, Looking for an Argument podcast and we couldn't yes. work out a deal with Jim. Yes. Um, I had a very specific thing I was interested in talking about. Yes. Um, so I appreciate having the opportunity just being with you because we know each other and being live with you in a way that, you know, is kind of fun in this neighborhood I live in that I love. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So, in Canada, yeah for, Rochester,
1: so, so, you know. But, yeah, this is fun. So, and and, and you get, the topic of philosophy is generally something that obviously I will talk about yeah
0: so the, so the, for the listeners that's where we are we're in the south suburbs of Chicago in a town called Flossmore where you live and where my sister lives and I am we may be living we're kind of since my husband and I are looking for a house as after we've gotten back from China but we're uh, but it's uh it's kind of a fun thing I've never I haven't done a face-to-face I haven't done a face-to-face podcast in quite a while so it's kind of we, it's kind of fun actually. it's way <laughs> easier to have a conversation this way um, but uh, anyway I'd like to start by, okay. d- by asking for some background so maybe just give me like you know a potted version of your your education or your kind of framing as as a philosophy uh, aficionado.
1: Yeah, this is interesting because I've done a lot of thinking even the last couple of years about, you know, what's the why did I start? I always attribute it back to when I was like 13 years old. It's kind of like a rough date where all of a sudden I started liking talking about ideas and serious ideas and digging into ideas. I didn't really understand what philosophy was exactly back then, but what was interesting is it, it basically it's my brother's influence on me. My brother's 10 years older than me, yeah. um, and the first thing I always do is my brother was 10 years older. He beat me up mentally, mostly, <laughs> somewhat physically, so f- from the South side. Side. So, so basically older brother, 10 years older. And you know, I developed a very thick skin in terms of like nobody really frightens me intellectually because when you have somebody 10 years older than you argue against you and winning every time, mm-hmm. nobody else is really intimidating. Mm-hmm. That, that advantage is so significant. Um, but the other thing I think that finally dawned on me more recently, which is kind of obvious, it's an interesting thing when you think deeply, sometimes obvious things come along, was that um, I uh, realized he used to talk about uh, going to college at U of I in the 60s. And actually it was more the early 70s where nobody had business degrees and everybody had some other degree. And he actually was a philosophy major, but he had a history major in the house, a political, you know. So he basically, during the 60s, even at U of I a state school, you know, his message to me was you can only... Um, you couldn't take business courses because you'd be mocked and made fun of, and so, um, so I think the combination of that, you know, hearing those stories and yeah. then the toughness just got me interested in ideas, and then I think ever since then it's been one of my favorite things to do is engage with people about ideas, and I didn't really get a philosophical framework until later, um, and some of my early philosophical framing, which you know, was sort of was reading. My dad went to college at Harper College, and he had some books on the shelves, mm-hmm. and one of them was uh, Malcolm X um, autobiography, Malcolm X, Elders, Cleaver, Soul and Ice. There was one by Stolten Carmichael. So it was kind of like, and one of my favorite musicians was Jimi Hendrix. And so those were things that got me kind of some framing from philosophical framing, you know, and. And then I started reading probably more traditional philosophers when I went to college and in my 20s where I'd read, you know, the Khans, the Hegels, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the more established guys. Exactly. The people that were, yeah. Well, there's people who are viewed more specifically as philosophers. Right. I mean, Malcolm X right. clearly was Jimi a, Hendrix. incredibly, you know, they, they weren't <laughs> viewed as philosophers, right. but they, they talked about ideas and they challenged, you know, they challenged the status quo, yeah. whether it was challenging the status quo of music or challenging the status quo of race relations in this country, yeah. um, you know, and so well. So
0: let me ask you that. So let okay. me so let me start. Let's start with that. So I mean, my the first the first thing I really want to ask you about is what's the significance of philosophy today for everybody? And uh, it kind of builds on that a little bit, which is it sounds a little bit like not only was your upbringing uh, not only did your upbringing kind of kind of ignite you in in for better, lack of a better word, philosophical debate, but it also kind of it sounds like it also kind of uh, but. Kind of ignited a more fiery philosophical mm-hmm. sense than maybe a more like I don't know pastoral or placid <laughs> or you know something yes. a little more just just pure rationalist sitting in a room philosophizing that it was there was some activism or some activity yeah. under underlying it so maybe answer both of the, talk about both of those well, a little bit. well I like, think
1: part of it was um, we moved from the south side of Chicago to Arlington Heights when I was two years old okay. so essentially I moved into a neighborhood where I was the our family was the only Democrat. Only Catholic, only Eastern European, only mother who worked outside the home. So I grew up in an otherness, you know. So essentially mm-hmm. only Sox fan, everybody's Cub fan, you know. So you basically, I think I was, you know, I came with this combative thing from my brother coming from the South Side. And I came into a place where everybody was pretty reasonable, you know, but essentially, even though I was small, I was ferocious, yeah. <laughs> both physically, you know, fighting back then was no big deal, but also yeah. mentally, where I, you yeah. know, things the people didn't didn't intimidate me, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, so I I think but I was constantly having to defend yeah. that, you know being yeah. a democrat I think and then I think that helped develop a focus on ethics and beginning to get me to think like even in high school you know when we moved to Bloomingdale my view was very strongly like like We discriminate against African-Americans. We destroy the Indians. I sort of, it was almost like I don't know why I thought that. So obviously, it's like these are obvious things, right? The data is very clear Mm -hmm. that we did these things as a country. So let's just be honest about it, right? Let's be honest what we did the Indians. Let's be honest what we did with women. Let's be honest. Let's look at our history honestly. as opposed to trying to pretend it didn't happen and everything was okay. And so that was even in high school. There was an ethical bent and I think a combative combination of things. Well, talk about
0: that a little bit because it sounds like, just you describing it, it sounds more like, Political philosophy than ethical philosophy, so maybe link those.
1: Well, I think, but everything's. Well, you say ethical. I mean, how you treat women is an ethical issue, right? Right. How you treat African Americans, how you treat Indians. Those are fundamental ethical issues. Mm -hmm. You know, you can talk about them in a political context, Mm -hmm. but the first thing is deciding what you know. You know, ethics is about what your your notion of right is, right? What do you think is the right thing to do, right? That's Mm -hmm. the fundamental idea of ethics. Mm -hmm. What is, you know, and you can debate what that is, and if there's any essentially. Um, you know, we, we had an ethics that came with us, you know, and I've simplified ethics to, for myself, is um, the belief that all life matters, right? So it's not just you know that life is something fundamental that we as humans are part of a long history of, you know, starting 3.8 billion years ago on this on this planet, and we should be thoughtful when we interact with life. In every single interaction now it doesn't mean you can't prioritize humans or can't prioritize it just means you should have a perspective and think about that in a a, a very fundamental way so when you decide all life matters right you decide that okay american indians matter african-american lives matter women's lives matter those things are important um so so i think in in the end ethics is a aspect of philosophy is about this right and wrong And, and what i realized is that what what my view of ethics is, is now, is you tell me your ethics, and I'm going to hold you accountable to it, right? I'm not, I'll tell you my ethics, you hold me accountable. You tell me your ethics, I'm going to tell, so if I talk about climate change people. If you say you th- climate change is a crisis, and you get on a plane to fly, I say, are you following your ethics? You know, and so that's kind of a question I ask. And, and I try to do it now because, of course, if you sort of say it in a, uh, what what I'm working on now more is social skills because I realize everybody's not like me in terms of being able to have a thick skin and combative and that's kind of leads into the notion of diversity and inclusion as well, is that how do you create a climate to have disagreement when you also want to have in a climate that's inclusive right all right well I we'll talk about that i okay. want to get we're going to get into that but so let me just let me, ask the question about politics yep, and ethics yeah so yep,
0: yep. well that's what i want to know but i want to know more about that i want okay. to know so so in a in a world where you're holding people accountable, where people hold other people accountable yep. for their own ethical systems yep. basically they articulate them and then yep. you hold them accountable yep. for that are you talking about that in terms of like in terms of politics or out in the world or a democratic system where people are acting in public? Are you talking about that personally, like between friends? Or is that more of a work or is that a professional context thing? Or is it all of them?
1: Everything. I mean, ethics involves, it's, it's how you deal with your kids. It's how you do. Every decision has an ethical component. I mean, that's what any decision you make, any action you take has an ethical component. I mean, there's no way to avoid ethics as a human in my mind. So mm-hmm. ethics is everywhere. I mean, that's so
0: a, so how does how does a society, and just, uh, just to drill down a little bit on yeah. this, that standard, because I like, that standard i like the standard that i that i'm going to hold other people to the standard that they articulate to me right you tell me what your your ethics and i'm gonna hold you to it i like that standard but the my question is how how does that work when maybe your standard or maybe your willingness to tolerate someone else's standard, especially the workplace? Yeah. I'm thinking about work. Yeah. You're holding somebody, you're holding an employee to a standard or you're holding a boss to a standard, an ethical standard, and then, and they're, and they they're, they're complying with it, mm. but the rest of the world thinks that standard's lun- lun- yeah. lunacy and they're, and they're rejecting it. How do you balance that ethical challenge with kind of, I don't know, other, yeah. other, Uh, Well, well,
1: you know, entities, corporations, universities have a right to have an ethics of their own, right, as long as it works within the legal context of the country. I mean, the government lays down sort of legal and illegal, right, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so clearly we we shouldn't violate the law, you know, no. for the most part that's the case. now there are some laws people say are unethical like a, you know so you' got to be it's a little careful but in the most case, if the law is not some radical law that tells you to do something bad right, right, right. that's telling you not to do something because it potentially you know right. um, but entities, families, and communities can have an ethical position right and, and then then people get to decide where they want to live you know and you know and, and in some cases, the danger of that is we all live in the communities that we all agree with each other on right where mm-hmm. But somebody else could say, "I'd rather live in a community that has representations from a bunch of different views," and and and, and you you know, and then you have to use simple things like people are fun. You know, I make judgments. Anything we all do. This is a fundamentally reasonable person, right? Uh, their views are. You know, it's kind of like you look at the Ellen DeGeneres George Bush thing, right? It's like it's a complicated discussion, right? Um, I clearly think. George Give, Bush give was, some background. Uh, um, back, back, well, well, yeah, sorry, background. yeah. So uh, you know, the, the, clearly there's been this thing, and it's very recent, so modern, where she's sitting next to George W. Bush. You know. Uh, at a game and then she says they're friends and I want to be friends with people who disagree with me so there was kind of a view that she took that seemed very easy and simple but then there were people who basically said well he's a war criminal right and started to attack him you know as a human being right to sort of say it's just not disagreement he's moving into such unethical territory right that you shouldn't befriend, right? Should you befriend Hitler is a question, right? Should you right. befriend anybody? Right. Should you befriend a silly killer, example. right? Yep. You know, yep. and... Um,
0: and her argument was... Well, you
1: know, well, I think, you know, she would argue that, you know, he might have done things that were didn't go well, right, in a tough job. So he started the Iraq War. The people died. He created Guantanamo. He did, you know, he supported torture. You know, all the things which are... Very problematic in simpler contexts, but in the context of the more complex world of when you've got leaders like you know (laughs) Erdogan and um, you know some very challenging, tough people leading countries, and you know I mean that. You know, you look at what's happened in Syria with Assad, you know, I mean, the behaviors of leaders in complex situations can get a lot, devolve into more difficult circumstances. Like, FDR made friends with Joseph Stalin, right, one of the most, you know, vicious yep. leaders in history yep. by all accounts of data. And so when you're in complex political situations, mm-hmm. so the way I look at George Bush, I just think he was the most incompetent president of all time, mm-hmm. one of the most incompetent. So I don't think he started from a bad position, so I could see why he could be his friend. But if he was my friend, I would be pointing that out to him. See, to me, a friend has to be somebody where I can say, you know, George, I think your decisions were really bad as president, and you've helped Make things worse. And the way you can correct yourself, right, if you really want to be my friend, is you've got to hold, I'm gonna hold you to your ethics. Because how do you then take on Donald Trump? How do you then tell the Republican Party the way they treated Barack Obama it was probably unfair? You know, there's a bunch of things that you can say to that person to say, how do you you know, just because you're friends with Michelle Obama, that's not necessarily, you know, maybe enough, you know. And and then people could critique Michelle Obama to say, why don't you challenge do you challenge George Bush? Or you just hang with somebody who's doing these things that you thought were bad, and you, you know, and that's one of the things. I think one of my challenges in life is I've always held my friends accountable, <laughs> and it sometimes has gone for better or worse. Well, let's talk about that yeah. because
0: because that's obviously uh, th- there's two ways that I want to bring up. Basically, Facebook. Okay. But uh, the first way I want to bring it up is um, is is to ask you about your kind of what you, you talked about your kind of philosophical right. roots and, yeah. the, and the kind of some of the voices yeah. that maybe influenced you as a, as a, when you were younger. Today, as you know, looking where you, where you are today, who would you say is influencing you today, and what's kind of is is there is it an aggregate of all the experiences and all the philosophies you've come across or is there kind of are there any kind of guide stars that you really hold on to today as like really you know particularly valuable for you know for where you are today
1: yeah right I'm always looking for something um new now because basically my whole life has been pursuing concepts that are fundamentally new and different so perspectives that are new and different yeah and so, so that's what I'm always looking for because very often people are repeating things that I've already heard before and yeah. thought through, yeah. versus yeah, yeah, yeah. something that's that, that's new. I mean, well, how do you deal with
0: that? Talk I, about that because I deal with that all the time. In fact, my husband gets mad at me because right. inevitably. He'll start saying something, and before he finishes, I'll be like, yeah, 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 I know where you're going. Here's my answer to this. Yes. And he hates that. And, of course, yeah. nobody likes that because everybody's like, can I speak?
1: I'll say stop doing that because so- <laughs> that's what exactly what I used to do, and I realized it was not a good social skill. So what I'm focused on ah, now ah. is the realization that content is not nearly as important as it is important. Yeah. But social skill, and that means, and this is part of diversity and inclusion, is recognizing where somebody's coming from, what their comfort level in. Just because you could handle that, like we, you and I could go through that thing, and I'm yep. anticipating what you're saying, you're anticipating what yep. I'm saying. But sometimes that we, we could have a conversation that doesn't go anywhere because we're not really focusing on any specific thing.
0: So explain but, to me why that's wh- how you came to that realization. Just because it wasn't workable, or was it well, because it's there interesting, was
1: interesting? Yeah, partially, I was getting a lot of feedback. Um, you know, University of Chicago changed. Diversity and inclusion became the kind of the way of things. And the style that I used, I was getting a lot of feedback at work and a lot of feedback in my personal life. I think I a lot of friends pulled away from me because uh-huh. um, I think all of a sudden people as they got older were less comfortable with that approach, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, it, you know, that's – you know. so I sort of – and I had a daughter now. Why which is was, that?
0: Why did people become less comfortable with that? That's it. Do I you mean, think that that's a cultural shift or do you just think that's like – Do you think that's something that's happened culturally because of, you know, things like social media or the way we approach life? Or do you think that that's just the way, you know, the way that that it's more of a personal thing with you with the relationships you've had with people?
1: I think it's I think humans um, absolutely as they get older value comfort more than they value new new mm. new experiences i just think that's because again you all and part of it is you get to know more about the world right so you get to know the dangers of the world whereas as you're younger you don't realize the risks of the world mm. so i think there is a you know it doesn't mean everybody does anything but it's just there's a from my experience of looking at all the people i've known and look at studying things in history is that humans move more towards wanting comfort right as they yeah. get older it's just the reality of life you, you know you want to move to safer neighborhoods you fight or voting for certain people who protect them you see that in the voting where, yeah. where older people vote and so i just think that's a human thing right and and so i think we all do it to some so, degree
0: so you don't think it's bad
1: no i think it's so I, you don't think
0: the unwillingness to debate is bad well,
1: I think the, or the discomfort with No, it or I think the, the if we don't, I think more than ever and there's a bunch of things going on if we this is why I think philosophy is more relevant than ever. Okay. and really independent thinking, but then independent thinking that's truly looking for people who think differently from you is more important than ever. Mm. Um, okay. that we really need to try to get many many people, as many people as we can engage in a genuine discussion about ideas, right? Mm. Because I think we're going into the changes with you know you know this reductionist thinking versus systems thing. you know people are beginning to realize that AI is beating us at all the things humans used to be good at, right? So mm-hmm. and it's got to the point where it can actually beat humans in list this game, Dota 2, which is one of these sophisticated video games, right. and Go, it's the right. most complicated right. game. It can now get 90% on the eighth grade science exam where it couldn't before. So there's just all this right. new data that, so essentially all the things that used to make people the smartest people on the planet yeah. no longer matter. So what does matter? What it, we, we don't know what real thinking is. I well, think so we,
0: what's your conclusion? What does matter?
1: Uh, I, I think independent, genuine independent thought, and the ability to develop your perspective, based upon as much study as you can do, and then being able to articulate that perspective so others can understand it. So really, language is key, right? And being able to say it to somebody else in language that they can understand. So being patient with them. So if they don't get what you're saying, don't try to jump ahead of them. Come back and say, how can I change my language to make this better, right? What am I saying about, you know? And again, I have this with my wife. Um, And another fundamental thing is I realized my daughter had become such an extreme introvert and it becomes so almost like liking social stuff in a way that I think, and I think I influenced that as a parent. How? Um, because I was going through a stage where I was being so. I I'd be, all the. I used to have like this large group of friends across my, you know, with you and Tom, that group of friends, yep. the people I knew at the University of Chicago. Yep. All of a sudden, I. I and I had all the, through my second wife, Lisa, I had like, and all of a sudden those friends were disappearing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was becoming more and more alone in this suburb with basically Mary and Mimi, Yeah, and coming home sometimes frustrated, life. Yeah. But, but, but coming <laughs> but home yeah. frustrated about this fact, and the fact that nobody was talking about ideas anymore, and I couldn't find a philosophical conversation. So she heard me like, you know, sometimes... Saying, oh, humanity, I can't stand humanity. I just want to be alone. I don't want to go talk to people. I'm frustrated with the world, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized that's not a great
0: th- you That know. rubbed off on your daughter.
1: Absolutely. And so now I spend my time saying to her, um, maybe dad was 100% wrong. Social mm-hmm. skills are one of the most important things. I understand you like being alone. I get it. Mm-hmm. But really, and I've told my wife, you know, you need to help her, especially. And, and I've been, one of the things I did when I lost my job is that I, really consciously reached out to people. And, and now, like, openness to come and do this. Yeah. You know, Gerard, part of the Gerard was fighting against, even yeah. when we tried to get him, It's yeah. like, yeah. I want my way, yeah. I'm fighting yeah, against yeah, it, I'm a yeah, irritated yeah, yeah, yeah. with everybody. Yeah. Um, and just opening myself up to people in a new way has allowed me, you know, like with Tom, in terms of, you know, we were, you know, and, and we communicate through text, but because I kept my relationship with him and I didn't, you know, burn the house down with the relationship because I was frustrated because it wasn't the same as it used to be. And I wanted more from it. Right. I wanted more ideas because you know, that's something that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. He helped me to get the job I got because he sent me the thing. He encouraged me. He gave me great uh-huh. support throughout uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. And so you see how humans support you in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize that that opens you up to, you know, and want, you know, to changing and and getting less stuck as an older person, right? Because Mm. the thing you need to do is if you're older is you need to find ways to open yourself up to new opportunities that are important to your enjoying life or being ethical in life. Whatever it is you're trying to do that's important Mm. as opposed to becoming more and more isolated.
0: So you were talking about the, you you alluded to uh, earlier that one of the considerations when you know um, when 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 communicating with others and working with others was kind of the I don't know finding a community that yep. really kind of supportive or yep. somehow nurtured you or, or something like that and that's something that obviously my husband and I are looking at when you're looking for a property right. at least in the state of Illinois it's very true because it's very much involved with schools very much right. you know Illinois a city where a state where everybody you know every school is funded radically right. differently based on where you're living and you know the racial makeup in particular is incredibly re- policed by I, you know, I don't know what I mean. There's systems way bigger than the schools about where why people live where they live and and who they pick up with. But how do you how, how would how did you and how would you advise someone or how would you talk to someone about about navigating that 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 finding a community or or figuring out a community that somehow is aligned with what you need or with right. what you want and is that for everybody or is that something that maybe is even specific uh, within a specific philosophical moral or ethical context
1: Well I do think it's going to ultimately be a matter of survival to be able to do this I think we're going to become more and more um, and and so and I think diversity is important and there's a lot of data that says diversity is important but I think you have to recognize that like it, like at the University of Chicago, one of the biggest diversities they needed was they they were going to discriminate against Trump voters, right? That was the you know you have to acknowledge who's the group you're going to discriminate against most so, likely. Back, back
0: up tell that story. So this is this a story about the kid who published something on social media no, but was just and then the way, got excluded or something? No, it was just Harvard. No, it was just story. talking to people. Like oh, like, just when talking. When Steve
1: Bannon was going to come, people ah, are basically saying right. There's a whole group of people got saying it. you inviting him from in. campus. Yeah, basically, Understood, and so and okay. just. Going after Trump voters and talking like like they're idiots. Yeah. Every one of them stupid. Every yeah. one of them's unethical. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're beginning to turn this other calling the Trump voter right. you know, um, dumb. You know, and so you're like thinking, well, why do you think they voted for him if that's the way you're gonna treat them? Right. And 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 that conversation, nobody called them out, right? If somebody did the same thing about the African American community, about women at University of Chicago, you would get called out in a mm-hmm. public place. That's no longer something you can get away with mm-hmm. without somebody calling you out. You might get subtle versions of that. And so I think what you have to do is say Where is the area um, where I'm most, you know? And and that's why the the election, because I I knew nothing about the Trump voter. I mean, this was one of the things I was going to talk about, you know, know, back in the, and I I was. Couldn't stand Donald Trump. Didn't want him to get elected. Was angry at all the Hillary or the um, Bernie Sanders voters we weren't getting vote. So I was like so irritated and thinking, who are these idiots voting for Donald Trump? Why would anybody vote for Donald Trump? And then when he won, and it's like you know whatever percentage of the pop voting population, it's a high number, right? It's a, 60 million people voted for him. You could say. So I'm like, God, 60 million people. I need to understand their thinking, and so that's why I spent the next two years trying to say. What is the basis of their thinking? What is important to them? And you know, so that's the kind of thing I think philosophy helps you do, is you look for the areas where, because to me, you know, racial discrimination. I've always been, again, you know, there's nothing. I've not, you know, and That's why being in an African American community here, that's 50% African American, 50% white, but here in, in a home at you see people debating this, and then people getting all nervous because they're having the debate, right? Yeah. Like they had a great oh, discussion yeah. about. There was a picture where somebody may have had a mud mask in one of the local restaurants. And people from the African-American community talked about it as being like blackface, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a long discussion about whether it was technically blackface or a mud mask, because it was, but it felt like blackface. And the people in the African-American community were, you know, so so to me, it was the discussion that was right. And Mm -hmm. and they eventually pulled it down. The, you know, and the you know, but it was like
0: a painting, or it was a yeah, representation it was a picture. I think
1: it was a picture. A I, a I, was a picture. Okay. I mean, I think it was a okay. photo, like a, like a
0: clay mask, or more like you know, you're swimming it's down the river. And it's back from the 20s. It's unclear. It's from okay. the 20s. Oh, it's an old photo. Yeah, oh, okay. so
1: it's an old photo <laughs> from the 20s. So I don't think it was somebody okay. putting on blackface. What was
0: the f- context in which they had the conversation? Where were they having it? Online? Online?
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, so I think there was, there was this homework. Moms today okay. home the There was discussions in the community, and, there, and it becomes political. But but my whole point was, I'm glad we're talking about it, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm you know, I don't think she should just. Take it down. Everybody's got to learn everybody's perspective on why that photo meant something to the person. Why did they put it up? Yeah. Did they put it up because they were trying to, you know, celebrate blackface? And yeah. I don't think they were. Um, but what, it was important for them to understand the impact on people in the community. And those yeah. people are their customers and members of the community. So, so to me, that discussion, you know, was really positive. And those kind of discussions break out, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, into- so
0: so my, so my husband and I are. Committed to living in a diverse community. We love diversity. Obviously, we're gay. (laughs) And that in itself is, you know, is, is, I I always, I often, you know, having been gay my entire life, I don't really take into consideration just how much that is part of diversity. But it's pretty diverse. You know, it's still, and when we go certain places, you're like, wow, we really are the only gay people here, Uh, or at least the only out gay people. So we notice it. But I guess I'm wondering, how much do you think that that's an important value that everyone should have? Everyone should live in diverse communities. All communities should be diverse versus, you know, not. I mean, is that, is that, that where this I, goes. I,
1: I think it's in your best interest. You'll 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 be. Able- you're more likely to survive and do well as a human being if you do. That's my thing. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I you, know, you can have the ethical debate, but that's less.
0: Is this like an evolutionary argument? Like diversity? Just the changing d- with evolution. What's, ha- what's happening with AI diversity. right now?
1: I mean, I could give you the, you know, because yeah, being ahead. in the education field now yeah. for a long time and watching the ideas yep. is there's plenty of, you know, and, and think about, and this is like the, the way the brain works. One of the, people don't understand one of the most important parts of the brain is not the number of neurons, but how inter- neurons interact. Interaction is key, right? Mm-hmm. And even in computers, it's not just the what the processing, it's things being able to go back and forth. And where each human is like a processing unit. Mm-hmm. But it's the connections with other humans that are per, that are really more important. So you can have a minimal-sized brain, but if you can connect well to other people with certain skill sets and brains, you're gonna likely expand your ability to understand and solve complex problems. Mm-hmm. And so and the problem and, and AI is gonna solve the problems we used to solve. So the most problems that are likely gonna face humans that are You know, economically and in life are going to be the most complex problems, which means you're going to have to work with other humans and especially humans who have different professional understandings, you know, like in in the healthcare field. How does the nurse see the world? How does the environmental services, you know, people have have to understand. They might be in the, and have a conversation with a patient. That might be key. If you don't encourage them to say you're part of the healthcare team, this is your expertise. Do you see something in the garbage can? Do you see something? And then communicate that because that's the new information. You're going to put all this information that's going to be on the, you know, being processed by big data. But then there's the information that's not yet in big data, or big data doesn't know how to interpret it. Because and so, have, it's novel. Yeah, because they don't know. Yeah, they, they don't. You haven't developed a new algorithm right. or heuristic, right. you know, tool that to, you know. It. So, so essence, in essence, you want to turn to another human who's mm-hmm. like paying attention um, in a different area. And so
0: just, let's well, so, so let's talk a little bit about. Let, so let's talk about that t- technology a little okay. bit because that's uh, that's on my list. I mean, the so so as background. Uh, you were, in my head, and you can correct me on this if I got the story wrong, but the way I tell the story is you were kind of a pioneer in social media, basically Facebook, at the time you made an effort... I remember it being a kind of a conscious, intentional effort on your part to kind of, I believe the phrase you used at the time was something like, you know, elevate the level of discourse on social (laughs) media. And you were very much purposely trying to like engage in, it was debate, it was definitely occasionally provocative, if not mostly provocative, but it was definitely part of it. But it was also like, it was just, you know, not talking about cat videos. It was like trying to talk (laughs) about things more than cat videos. And, you know, I know it was, and I recall it being a frustrating experience for you. Yes. And, And I have a, I have a, a daughter of a cousin a cousin of mine whose daughter is incredibly smart i think she's a surgeon and she what she wrote really, she was as a young girl. You know, when she first got on social media, it was right at that time when social media was taking off, when Facebook was taking off in particular. And she was writing things that she got in enormous trouble for. And she's completely backed away from social media yep. completely. She's off, yep. uh, and she's like you know granola raising a child. You know, yep. with natural in, you know outside in rural Colorado. Yep. I mean, she's just like this is a mess. But she was very engaged as well, and I think she had a really bad experience. Talk about that experience a little bit and about. Maybe I guess the broader thing I want to get to is what's the impact of social media on our discourse in
1: society? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I just did it badly. I mean, my my, my concept was right because, you know, and I, you know, you know, Peggy Bennett, she was the one who warned me of this very early. She said, Gerard, it's just not going to work, you know, just. Um, and the interesting thing is that substance did come on social media eventually because now you get articles, now you get. But mm-hmm. it's substance that's also then being manipulated, right? So, mm-hmm. so as you get substance, you get articles, and you tend to get articles that are. Um, so, substance did show up finally on Facebook, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. I was trying to have it to be interactive, learning from each other. Mm-hmm. Substance, um, but just which ostensibly is what social it, media but, would but, but do. I, in the, and but this is cr- where I'm the or, last, like, you know, it was a massive failure, and I have to own that because I. This is the whole social thing. I just didn't really think about. And it's so obvious because I think it, I got fortunate in life because I went from the, the world of the suburbs, where nobody's talking about ideas, to this University of Chicago, where I was access to the best books, the smartest people. Everybody wanted to talk about ideas, so all of a sudden, and my, my second wife was politically active in South, you know, we went to Mozambique, South Africa. So I'm all these worlds where everybody's wanted wanted to talk about ideas. So yeah. I, I was spoiled, right? Yeah. And people kind of liked me, so they put up with my personality type and yeah. found me enough interesting and. But I didn't, you know, but then all of a sudden, that fundamentally changed. And, you know, I was still not changing my social skills, right? How and did so, that
0: fundamentally change?
1: Because everybody, all of a sudden, I wasn't, either I wasn't, a, I, I, you know, is there ages? I mean, you could, you could okay, speculate, were people getting older So and the less. responses was you were I, getting were different. Tom's insight, which I first, you know, Tom sometimes gets things that, um, is he just said, he, the, the old Gerard, there was a certain amount of um, joy underneath it. And he thought the joy was gone. And so I think that might have been true. There might have been, and that was some of the things, I think there were some personal things in my marriage I started to work on, some personal things um, at work I started to handle differently. So I think, you know, in life you go through these fundamental, like, yeah. you know, and, and there's actually sure. some data that says one of the most miserable times for, for adults is like in their 50s. Hmm. And so that's like, hmm. I'm not, that's not.
0: Well, it, so makes sense. it does make sense to me that the older you get, the more right. you realize the preciousness right. of time and the obligation you have as an elder in the society to actually right. accomplish things that will make life better for the next generation i mean like it's weird that i would i've never articulated that before but i actually think it's somewhere it's in our heads and so things get i guess other people could see that as getting more serious and therefore less joyful because it's like no we have to get this done because it's now is the time uh and there might be a little bit of that in there as well all right but you're basically saying that the reason you change is because the feedback you were getting and, yeah not and, because of the technology necessarily
1: oh and the insights about yeah I mean through I mean through the t- under thinking about I mean, I mean, this is where philosophy helps John I mean my point is because any as a if you're a in my vine a philosopher you' mm-hmm. you go back to thinking about the thing deeply you go back and reflect and say what's going on here right mm-hmm. to me it's philosophy that ultimately got me out of that and mm-hmm. you know and um, because ultimately I want to understand how things work mm-hmm. even things that make you uncomfortable right and you know even if you realize um, so to me yes feedback comes through multiple mechanisms the failure of not successfully, Getting good engagement on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. The feedback from others that says, "Gerard, you're being too harsh," or "Gerard, you're not presenting this the right way," "Gerard, yeah. you, you need."
0: Give an example of something that just sort of for the listeners. Give us an example of something that, like a particular conversation that you recall, or what, or a kind of thing you might have talked about on, that, like that was that would that would get like what responses? Because I mean, I'll tell you what, my, my cousins her things were always polit- overtly political right. she was basically very much defending at the time I think it was George Bush in office and you know like you know very being very anti-union right. very anti like you know all the classic right. kind of right-wing right wing things in America and she was making these and it wasn't just and it wasn't just using um, it wasn't just making arguments right. it was using very histrionic language yes. to make those arguments so you know very provocative and very out- a lot of outrage constantly yes. outrage uh, outrage was that what it was or was it because no. I, I don't remember what you wrote but I remember it being more it was more like just very much broadly like thoughtful right. reflective yeah. it, philosophical it, it,
1: it, some of it was frustration come out okay. up, but I think the more fundamental thing is and I'm, I'm a slow learner but I, I'm a sure learner I'm like the, the tortoise I think is I got feedback like I think it might have been like even 15 years ago that was the first was, a, was a, like a coach you get a you know sits me down and ah, basically yeah. says Gerard you know I, she, I've explained who I was and you said Gerard you're an N of 1 I mean, you're, you're, you're very rare in terms of how you see the world. And that was the first insight. And then it's just building off that insight and then running into situations where, like, people at work, like, like there was one example I'll give you where this person I really, you know, this, one, this uh, uh, woman who worked for me, you know, great person, really had a good relationship with her. But we were in a t- tough discussion. And I, and, I, and I started going like this on the desk. Mm-hmm. And she wow. told me that was very threatening. Uh-huh. And, you know, so I was Uh like, you know, and we're across the desk about this Uh distance. So I was thinking it was just me being passionate and her feedback was, no, it was threatening. And so I started coming up with, I'm going to go upward now. So when I have energy, I don't go outward, I go upward. So that's, and so for a while with her, I did that kind of almost as a, because she gave me the insight. I said, I I'm going to go. My hands are going up in the air. I, as opposed to outward, like the tan of the table. Uh-huh. you know." So uh-huh. so that would be a very, and all of a sudden. So then once I started practicing this physically to get me, now I try to be aware of when I'm going outward mm-hmm. with somebody. right? If I'm moving forward, that could be. So it's basically, um, and there's people who, even in my home, like my, my wife and daughter will say, I'm yelling. I'm saying, no, I'm being passionate. Yeah. You know, no, it's passion. It's not. Yeah. You know, I could yell. You, want me to, you know, it's kind of like the parent. Yeah. I'll show you yelling. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, so, Mike,
0: a, a really a good a, a good friend of ours uh, who lives in Barcelona, Richard. Uh, he 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 always says to me the line that it matters when you meet with people. It matters less what you say than how you make them feel.
1: Yes, this is that's a Maya Angelou quote, and I hated that quote. And now I just <laughs> read a book.
0: That's to, a Maya Angelou quote. I yes. Didn't
1: know that. Well, it's attributed to her. I think okay. it's her quote. Okay. It's everybody I've, up till now, this is the, you know. Yep. But the, it, I hated that quote, and I thought, what do you mean? What I do for you should matter. What I say should matter. What I do say. But, what's, but, what's I, ra- but I got a <laughs> it's book true. It's called The Strange um, Order of Things, written by a neuroscientist, psychologist, philosopher. Okay. And essentially... It was the first time I got data to explain what that means. Mm -hmm. He says the earliest form of life, bacteria, 3.8 billion years ago, Mm -hmm. had the precursors of feelings, right? And then eventually when you got the nervous system, So, the whole idea is we are part of that progression. We've had feelings or the precursors of feeling for 3.8 billion years. How long have we had the the cognition part? It's much newer, the sophistication of our cognition. So, fundamentally, right, we are creatures of this early bacteria and this early nervous system life. So, of course, feelings. You know, it's like once I saw this book and read the book, it's like it's obvious you know so that, that's where you, you like you, I struggled with that quote and I always would attack sure. it and then finally I've got the data and I'm like I 100% agree with it now but now I can explain why right see people like say things to me or to other people and they don't explain it. you're like well why should that be and it's like well it's kind of obvious right it's like well it's not obvious to me and I'm trying to understand it but now I've got sort of a you know an understanding well, exp-
0: well explain I mean the, I know what the fundamental tension is the fundamental tension that comes up in my head is what's the relationship between feelings and truth right and I mean how have you it sounds like like, You're coming down, and if I have to give up on a little truth to for people no, to feel better, I'm going to do that. Or how do you balance that? How do you I never
1: that? give up on truth. Okay, you know, no, that's no, it's, that's not, no. You just have to figure out the way to get the truth out relative to the other person's feeling realities, right? So, okay. so no, I I am committed. <laughs> okay, and I think you have to be committed to try to get to get because we as humans won't survive. If we don't pay attention to the, you know, I mean, you know, the the and the and the, and the post-truth, you know, notions on both sides of the aisle. Left people don't look at data, you know, and I and I do thought experiments with people to sort of test how open people are to thinking about something differently than the common wisdom. And I think Lincoln's one of the great examples I use with people because, you know, I make the argument. I think he's the, one of the worst presidents in history. And let me tell you my interpretation of the data, mm-hmm. you know, and people on the left and right, they act like you're the biggest idiot in the world. And then you start going through some facts, you're like. Well, he, he basically started a war. I mean, the war started under his presidency ended after he died, after he left office. Essentially, um, the most deaths per capita, larger than any world, he's the president of that. You go through all the facts, right? Data. This is data, and you don't dispute those facts. Um, he he um, picked a vice president who was a basic racist. Mm-hmm. you know, And he, he, he ended slavery as a war strategy that's that was you know so so you go you start looking at the facts what about another so even open them up to another interpretation mm-hmm. everybody goes to the times were different they they start making this clear. and i'm thinking these people are brilliant and they all say the same thing mm-hmm. you know and i'm like wow i can't they won't even engage me in a discussion yeah. and i'm not even you know i've gotten less and less provocative when i bring it up because if you yeah. bring it up too provocatively yeah, yeah, people shut up you know but if you even bring it up sort of like hey yeah. You know, and every once in a while you'll find somebody like my um, my goddaughter, you know, African American. You know, she's now in college. She's like, I agree with you. So every once in a while you run up somebody. She's like, Yeah, I agree with you. Like, there was no great president, right. and it's like. You know, but but right. you see that in somebody young who's like right. understands this right. otherness experience, right. and he wasn't an abolitionist. He right. wasn't like ethically. He was torn. He said lots of different things. You know, and so you know, so it's that kind of thinking, right?
0: So what? So how has? So so talk a little about. So so let, let me conclude on the technology thing because I want to I want to okay. finish it, which is like so in your head. How has technology writ large? And you have you already talked a little bit about AI, but how has technology writ large? Maybe social media and other things. How has it changed philosophy, or how we think about philosophy?
1: It's just another mechanism to communicate. I mean, I just don't think, you know, I think it's just, it it makes communicating with more people easier and we can't take advantage of it. Because
0: I keep thinking, let me give you a couple of things. After two years in China, I had a couple of colleagues, one of whom was from Chicago uh, and a a few others. And they would talk about things like, they would give data points like the decrease in the amount of sex that that people are having. Um, The fact that, you know, there are all these robots being sold in Japan for people and the... The, the fact that people walk around, you know, looking at their phones and they're not talking or they're not having, there are no casual bumping into communications anymore because you don't do it, How, because you don't have that as much. How much if if... You know, if, if philosophical, philosophically meaningful conversations and, and connection with others is contingent upon connecting with people yeah. physically or face-to-face and feeling, how does that happen in a world where – or does it, is that impacted by no, the –
1: No, you've got to – absolutely, that's you know. the, one of the risks you're talking about. So you're talking about the risks of um, – Yeah. Is it absolutely – more than ever, we need and, – and people are – you know, Apple is designing its facility so people aren't into each other. Everybody in technology knows. People are telling. So, so essentially, you want to use the tools. You know, p- people sort of get wrapped up in the tools, and it becomes about the tools rather mm. about what they're trying to do with the tools, right? Mm. And again, you've got to decide what you want to do with this tool. Like one, I learned to write really elegantly when you could do 160 with a, my first cell phone or a flip phone. I yeah. guess it wasn't. Yep. Is that I would write, and I was dating at the time, and so I learned. I would try to write the most dense things, complex right. things, sure. and it's practice. You know, so the version tool. of yes. yes, and this was before there was Twitter, right. and so and now Twitter's not even one sixty anymore. Right, you right, know, right, so you right. they got, but but you use the tool to help you improve your communications, mm. right? So it helped me to write more elegantly, mm. but very often I realized people weren't. Learning to read dense You know, people don't like density, mm-hmm. and like, like some people read a forty-page report, but if you do a two-page email that's equivalent, they'll, they'll say it's too dense. Right. And it's like, so the medium controls their thinking. Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't you read a hundred sixty-character yeah. thing and try to get out of it? Yeah. That isn't that your best interest. Is this to just get, Marshall
0: McLuhan updated for today? Is this just the medium is the message kind of it, it, well, expanded to? Yeah, any I don't know if
1: I fully understand or, what he. Um, okay, maybe I I'm,
0: don't want to go in, But my 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 takeaway of him is just. That you know, basically, the media people care more about the medium than they do about the what, actual. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, if that's
1: what he meant, then I yeah. would say you get caught up in the, the tool of it and it becomes dominant as opposed to, yeah. you. and that's why independent thinking is so important. Well, what's a tool it's that's tough. worked
0: for you? What's a tool that has worked? They for you? all work.
1: I mean, okay, they, they all yeah, okay. I, well, I, I would say the tool I, I've used, I, I could have yeah, used texting, I think texting is a good tool, email is a good tool. I mean, okay. I, I don't have, um, you know, so I've got, I got you know, the phone is a good, you know, for me, a phone is a better way to communicate now, because I, and I try to tell this to friends, and some of them get irritated with me, is I'm not a good person to get surprised on the phone with. Mm -hmm. I like to plan it because, and it's not because I just like to plan my day. I could be better prepared to give myself attention to you in that phone call. If you call me and I'm distracted, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to be in not the best frame of mind if we, you know, so, but a lot of people find that sort of like insulting. Jarred needs to plan his day. It's like, and I'm like, oh, it's because that's just me. That's my, that's, you know, you have to get to know me. I'm not good at a surprise phone call, right? I'm good and I could come to this, like coming to this prepared. Like if you just- It's plucked- funny,
0: you're almost making, you're you're almost saying it's the opposite of what a lot of people have said, which is that technology has made us more distracted all the time. In some ways you're saying it's, technology has allowed us to be more focused because oh, yeah, it allows me. us to, to pace what we're doing what we're doing It's helped me, it.
1: absolutely. It's given me access I to stuff fast. But you got to use it the right way. Like, now, you know, going to your phone to make sure you don't have to debate facts anymore. Mm-hmm. So just let's check the facts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I have my metaphysical poem that I could maybe read at the end or something. Yeah, sure. And, you know, and so essentially... It's just I said I could have memorized it, but I could just put it in my phone, and I could pull out my phone and read it. And maybe that's not impolite because I'm not doing it because I'm bringing my phone up to not. I'm doing it because I have information in my phone that allow me to say precisely what I want to say, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like why communication is so important, is because so much is just we don't understand what each other are saying, right? I mean, mm-hmm. or and we think we do. I mean, I walked away from conversations. This is there's data in this where everybody has a different understanding. You know, somebody watches a crime scene, everybody sees something differently. You know, and and that's just what humans do. And so how do you both? improve observation so that people see things that are real more consistently, right, mm-hmm. and also improve communication so people do understand what each other are saying. And then you could start talking about the differences, right, because sometimes mm-hmm. you are just arguing because you're saying such different things yeah. that you don't, you're, you're, you're don't not really even arguing, the, you know, so you don't even know the point, you know,
0: you're, you're, you you're, you're, so. That, historically, I would have said that was yeah. like definitions. Yes. You don't agree on definitions. Exactly. You don't agree on basic concepts yeah. so that you then when you're yeah. using words or you're using, uh, you're communicating yeah. ideas, you're communicating the same ideas. And so rather than
1: debating with the right definitions, let's all agree on a definition. Okay, yeah. I'll accept your definition, yeah. but but if I use it the wrong way, keep correcting me because I'm used to this way of using it. So right. just make sure know that I'm trying to adapt to your language. Right. And, or you can adapt to my language, you know, and, um, but let's move on and pick a definition. You know, I mean, we can either use the Webster's First Dictionary, or if you don't like that you want to use this, that's fine. So, but, gives,
0: so give some advice to, give some advice to people who maybe feel like philosophy is not a part of their lives, or they feel like it's not enough a part of their lives, but they want to get, what, what's the, what's the best way, is it just still reading books? Is that the best way to kind of access great philosophy, or, or inspiring philosophy or philosophy that changes kind of really makes your worldview, what, what do you, what do you, What would you advise somebody, maybe somebody young and somebody
1: old? There's so many. I mean, part of it is I think you do have to grapple with some of the if you really want to know it, you might have to read some of the classic philosophers, just to kind of, and not to agree or disagree with them, but to like understand. Name a couple you would send. I mean, it's hard. To, I don't want to. I mean, but, but right. the <laughs> ones that have influ- I'll just tell you, honest, the ones that have influenced. I'll be clear. I mean, yeah. Hume represents to me the importance of data. I mean, he's a philosopher who's all about what comes in through the senses, and in my view, is everything's data. Your feelings are data. Everything's data, right? Anything that you could feel or sense mm-hmm. is data, mm-hmm. and and it's not just data isn't just what's in the spreadsheets. It's what it's in your brain that you know is there, yeah. and and trying to so and you know kant was all about the use of thinking right kant's all about reasoning i mean his focus so kant talks a lot about reasoning you know and now again it's old stuff and there might be better new stuff today that yeah. talks about that reasoning and i don't you know but you know but he and and, and hegel is about the narrative I mean, so essentially, and this is the other thing that I realized is people are driven by narratives and stories, and that's, again, because r- stories are more ancient for survival than our reason and data. I think humans learned about stories as a way to survive before they really started using reason and data effectively, and so essentially stories like feelings are connected and fundamental to, to humans, and Hegel understood that, and that's why Marxism, I think, was so, so popular, right, is Hegel was throwing narratives that excited people and, you know, cr- you know, turned you know Marx to read Hegel and say, oh, my God, this dialectic and this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Peirce, who is the the one I finally discovered through a, a philosophy group, kind of influenced this process philosophy and, um, and uh, pragmatism. I, I call it process philosophy. And then he influenced Whitehead, James, and Dewey. Mm-hmm. And I think Dewey did the best job of beginning to try to integrate. <laughs> um, um, Hume, Kant, and Hegel. He took the. His writing is sometimes difficult and dense, but I think he was, and he was trying to bring that thinking into the world of, you know, connecting it to the world of life. Right? Experiential learning is one of his educational things. So it's like mm-hmm. taking philosophy to life and making decisions in life, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what education should get you to do. And it's not just about being a vocationalist, it's also about understanding the world, being ethical in the world, figuring out how to be good, you know, interact with people, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, so to me that- Which is
0: something that's historically viewed as lacking in American education systems. And when I was in China, it was funny, they were adopting at the international schools that we were at in China, they they were adopting this <coughs> this this. It was essentially a nonprofit out of the UK called Philosophy for Children, right? And it was a very it was and it was it's big in the UK, and they were bringing right. it to the international schools in China as well. But it was basically going from very young children and. Teaching them how to sit in small groups and have a conversation mm-hmm. about I about like yep. what's right, what's right. wrong, very much pr- kind of a, a highlighting and right. bringing to the fore questions of philosophy that right. maybe have been ignored in and in the U.S. I feel like we might talk more about it as character education, yes. which is often uh, viewed as a kind of a, the purview of the right, exactly. and of, and and, so, and it's and it it's it makes and it, it does make a lot of public school teachers kind of nervous to say, oh, are we? I'm not. I'm not forcing my values on anyone, and maybe even parents makes me right. a little nervous. How, so, but but you think that's important?
1: Oh yeah, I think what happened with philosophy is all these smart people started getting more and more esoteric. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the problem. Is is post um, Dewey, and especially as you got in there, the people either got really narrative driven, like yeah. some of the you know Sartre, and you know yeah. some they you know, or they got too esoteric and they stopped. It was almost like now you, you weren't smart enough if you were talking about you know making. Decisions about ethics—you know—that wasn't like you know you had to do something complex. Um, But like one, you know, John Rawls—he's the one who I think influenced my ethics. Is his book *The Theory of Justice* was essentially this idea that you know is that if you if you didn't know where you were going to end up in the world, right? If you didn't know if you're going to be poor, rich, a Trump voter, a Hillary voter, a Bernie voter, what would your rules be, right? So it's behind the veil of ignorance, right? And so to me, that's kind of like getting at that notion of what's your ethics, right? Mm -hmm. And then he was actually trying to say, what would your ethics be? Mm -hmm. Would you change? And the only way you're gonna find that out is if you talk to somebody who's different from you and learn their (laughs) ethics, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the exchange, of ethics, are, we can find commonalities of ethics together. Right? We can come up with the hundred things we agree on in ethics. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you and I agree we shouldn't punch each other in the face. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. pee in the middle of your, four, you know, I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Those are things we, you know, we agree on, right? Mm-hmm. You say that's those are, you know, um, but then you find out the things that you disagree on in ethics, right? Yeah. And then you can start to understand. Well, why do you think that? Why do you think that? And then yeah. that's going to help you grow in understanding, you know, how humans. Because you meet the guy, you're like, I like you. You're a nice guy. You're good, good to your kids. You treat your family well. You seem like. Oh my God! You don't, you know, you don't think gays should have the right to be, be married? What What are you talking about? You don't think you th- you think abortion should be illegal? Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, oh my God! Um, mm-hmm. And so, and like, I have my three disagreements with my wonderful mother, you know, and we, and you know, but but I always, you know,
0: three disagreements,
1: three fundamental disagreements, okay. legalizing gay marriage, okay, um, that you know that abortion is a more complicated issue you just can't make it illegal you know so you've got to figure out a plan that's thoughtful mm-hmm. to both sides mm-hmm. and then the pedophile scandal in the catholic church how uh-huh. could you support the catholic church right. it's the most corrupt organization it, it you know it, it did things that if any you know so yeah. you know and, and i stopped
0: common she, debates she, among our generation with but, our catholic mothers but, i mean it's very
1: but it, but but that's what i'm saying but the, and, you know but i always talked to her. Yeah. Old, and my brother and you sister were them. like why do you talk to her? Because, you know, and I finally, when she turned 90, I said, I will no longer, if you bring it up, I'll tell you what I think, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to bug you about it anymore. You made it to 90. You know my views. Okay. I'm not going to,
0: you know. I get it. So let me ask you, so let me ask you my big one of my big questions. Okay. Because as I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you about, one of the big questions that I had for you, I wanted to ask you about what you think of evil, about the concept of evil, whether it exists. And, you know, literally like, because in my head, I'm thinking, there are people out there. I, I don't. Maybe something as I've gotten older, I've realized there. I, I have this. I call it the bully view of evil. Like there's a point where you can put up. I can put up with a lot. I tolerate a lot. But at some point somebody pushes too hard and they're hurting you and then it's like I've got to push back. Yeah. Or maybe that, and that's that's bad or evil. But I'm curious what you think about evil.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's unfortunately such a narrative driven term mm-hmm. that it's really I mean You it's, see
0: St. Michael the Archangel knocking yeah, but, uh, <laughs> to but also all to the, the story of,
1: shows, you know, the show called I mean we are so near. I mean this is like words that eventually have become so hard to use because there's just so narrative. I mean, okay. so it's so it's kind of like Okay. There's stuff that I believe people should be, you know, imprisoned for. There's stuff that I will find unacceptable in a conversation. Like I if my if my mother in a conversation ever attacked gay marriage, I would call her out. So I say, "You don't bring it up, mom. I won't bring it up." But so to some extent I think that's an unethical position, you know. And so and I think, you know, and the problem with today with someone on the left is they catastrophize words to the point where people and so sure. I want to Everybody's step away Hitler. from- yeah, Everybody's Yeah, Hitler. exactly. That's the whole, yeah, that's the, lose the argument. <laughs> that's to be, the what's one it called? The go, go, Some law, like Gooden's law or something like that, is that if you, you know, you know and so-, well, the, the, so the, the person I'm, who
0: brings up Hitler loses right. the conversation, yeah. basically. And
1: so, so I think, you know, so like, you know, calling, you know, George Bush too quickly in a debate where you want to draw somebody in a war criminal, right? Mm -hmm. May not get you an honest discussion about what he did that was wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And then try to hold him accountable for that in a way that he might hear it, right? Because that's the idea. You're trying to get people to see like I was trying to get to my mother to see, you know, because she said, I love people, I love, you know, I don't want to hurt yeah. and that you know, I would go yeah. through like these people you know are gay, this person is, you know, um, had an right. abortion. Right. You know, you want to throw them in prison, you think they're a right. murderer? Right. You know, and, and you no, 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 no. So right. so at least I called her out and she 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 couldn't figure out well, she, she couldn't well, she couldn't defend it as much as she could change her belief. It's, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. But at least she heard my perspective and she heard it consistently, and she heard it through, you know, in, in a way that I said, and mom, in my life, if you ever Discriminate against somebody who are those people, then I would exclude you. I mean, this is such an ethical violation in my life. The fact that you have the view is something I could live with. But if you acted upon that view in any way, um, if you ever protected a pedophile priest, you know, of any kind, and I want to, you know, I know that could be attack on the gay community, but you know, whether you know, I know yeah, people yeah, yeah. Who with women, it
0: gets complex, it, it gets that gets complex too. So, and I don't want to, you know, because, future, because of, historically,
1: yeah, because people are like, because historically, oh, there were a lot right. of
0: people who were gay whose mothers kind of picked up on it yeah. when they're including possibly right. me, yeah, and they were kind of pushing me to her to church because right. that was like, well, that's what you yes, do, yes. and it wasn't, they weren't trying to put, no. but you know, there's a, there's an, there's an innocent right. narrative to that as well, yeah. but it's, but there's no question the outcome is what I would probably call evil, so yeah, but I think it's not,
1: but the point point is, to me, it wasn't the people who were the pedophiles who are evil, it was the leadership, John. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You know, the organization, people, people, the institution's fault. No, yeah. no human being would choose to be a pedophile, right? So you know there's something complex going on in this person's head, right? right? And you know, and once they act upon it, yeah, you need yeah, to deal know. with it in some way. Yeah, for sure. but, but at the same time, we don't have good systems of leadership, we don't help people in that situation, right. and we don't try to sort of lay out for them, hey, just like with my mother, you, I understand you're a pedophile. I know you didn't choose it, right? Yeah. But if you act upon this in any way, right. we are going to hold you accountable. Right. And we're going to watch you. Right. you, know, and we're, going to, you know, we're going to ask right. you, can you hold yourself accountable in this situation now that you've identified this? Um, so me, it was a leadership problem in the Catholic Church that was unethical. And that's where right. I... See, I hold accountable much... And this has been the other thing I think on the South side is the people in power. You know, not the people who are the regular folks because, you know, so it's basically taking on the people who have the power who are doing things that aren't, you know, so like when the Bill Gates gets into a plane and flies somewhere in order to, you know, I say, how could you, with all your resources and all your new knowledge of technology, and who says you believe in climate change, take that action? As, a, as, a, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to picking on the person who's a coal miner, right? And he, mm. like, that's his job, right? And I'm like mm. thinking, okay, I get why.
0: We'll talk a little bit about talk a little bit about that. Talk about the place of Marx and, and political philosophy along the lines of the class war and Marx and its applicability today.
1: Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> I truly think Marx is a disaster intellectually in a lot of ways. I think he's very fun and interesting and creative. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly was a smart guy and did some interesting things. Because I, I think Hegel, but I think you have to understand. I mean, you have to understand Hegel and Marx and why they worked so well. Mm-hmm. Because if you so I so, so I should say, unbelievable skill set in the use of narrative that, mm-hmm. you know, I now. Realize the importance of narrative and trying to find narratives that can move societies to a better place, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, to you know, which is how do you find those narratives that actually uplift and don't create yep. unnecessary clashing? I mean, some clashing was necessary, and so like unions, it was important for people to organize and take on, you know. So I don't, it's not unions, I you know, but but and, and maybe the the Marxist narrative got people excited to be able to you know, because that's been my challenge today. Without the Marxist narrative people have trouble organizing. So can you come up with a, a, a another type of narrative that helps people organize so that they can negotiate with people in power, right? You know, mm-hmm. what is that set of Well, tools? I was in
0: China for a while, so I'm very big into the right to free speech and yeah, the right to assemble. Exactly. Two rights that they do not have in China. Right. They have no rights, in, I mean, overt rights in China. But those two are... Pretty. Those are pretty. Those are Absolutely. fundamentally toward the same thing. They give well, you can talk about what you want to talk about, right. and you can get together anytime you want to get together. Yeah, and the, those and, seem to be be really and, fundamentally yeah. the same thing.
1: And there's a debate in universities, but that's the left trying to take. That's one of the dangers. Like Bill Maher versus the left. It's like the left has to understand. I think that you need to make you need to convince people that Steve Bannon is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to. And you've got to hear. If he's the best representative of ideas you think are bad, right? Mm-hmm. If you could argue him, you know, unless he's going to begin to go use narratives, at least he'll take his rational tools away. Right. And then he could still use narrative. Well, tools. Well,
0: so let me play devil's advocate a little on that. So they, they would probably. So it, it, people who would say, I want to exclude, you know, Steve Bannon from campus are might be saying, I don't. I, you know, I, they they have they, what they have said, what they have done, their positions are so are so anathema to where I am that. That they that is tantamount to fighting words in the Supreme Court, you know, interpretation of this is actually like a bludgeon that they've used against yeah. me, and now I need to act. And the analogy I'm thinking of today is in Hong Kong, the protest. Right. I know several of the students who are out every weekend protesting because they were in Shanghai right. and now they're going to university in Hong Kong, and they're out protesting right. against mainland China. And obviously the NBA kind of all yeah. all the all the, the 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 political brouhaha with with that, but the. The, there was a big article in the New York Times a couple days ago about how the Hong Kong protesters trans changed from being just silent protesters to kind of some of them saying, no, we need to be violent back yeah. to these to the police. Yeah. And I think you could say that some people at university campuses in the U.S. might be saying the same thing, like, no, we got to go beyond just words or or, yeah. or silent resistance and we need to act. Yeah, what would you say to them? What would you say I, to the young protesters in Hong yeah, Kong the, as well? This is
1: hard. I mean, I, I understand. Well, to me, there are some cases where, you know, in, in the civil rights movement, I mean, some people, and I, and I think Malcolm X. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. the threat of violence when things get, Too far. The question is, I would say, is this really that? Is this really fighting words, right? I mean, tell me why you think it's fighting words. And we and we have somebody working on that with medical students to say, you need to have civil discourse. And as long as they're just talking, right? I mean, the Chinese government is using, you know, you know, somebody's using physical action. You know, they're using the police force to, you know, so. you know, so yes, if you feel the police force is acting against your community, you step out. But, but Steve Bannon, you know, you could say he's inciting violence elsewhere. Like you, you know, but anybody could, you know, you're inciting violence against Trump. We're all potentially doing that. So, so I would just try to say, I think it's a it's a tough argument, but John, absolutely, yeah. this argument isn't solved. I'm not I'm not the answer to this because I'm real. I'm trying to figure out this. This is the yeah. this is the somebody who figures this out. And this is like when I want to go to my is if we could figure out how to do this to bring both diversity. The inclusion you know which i believe strongly is important that we bring all voices to the table we protect all rights of everybody um so, but we still have to be able to more effectively talk about difference you know and and i've learned that in order to potentially be successful of that i have to have discussions like this hopefully in a way that's you know civil and thoughtful and respectful as yeah. opposed to in a way that's going to well in
0: difference historically when she said people re- need to respect difference historically that was applied to that was a, that was a criticism of people on the left of exactly. people on the right, yeah. and it's funny because now it's flipped. Exactly, it's flip. Yeah. it seems to be in some ways we're flipping it. We're saying it's it's, it's on them. I mean, I listen to a lot of Sam Harris. On the, yeah, okay, Sam Harris. I've been listening to Jordan him Peterson. Here. A, I've been listening to him a lot, and you know, yeah. he 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 rails against wokeness. Yes. and rails against yeah. the the kind of uh, the assumptions that a lot of the that, right. that a lot of, a lot uh, uh, that that are tied up in and he really rails against Foucault, um, a philosopher who very much affected me as a young gay man uh, and in my graduate studies early on. And I guess I, I, you know, I I take exception to that's where probably he and I part ways in that I kind of er, have always been more concerned, and maybe this is Aristotelian, or, or uh, this is this is a little more about rhetoric, but about the language people use is always really important to me because the language is reality. Right. For, <laughs> in, the, in the oldest, in the old. And, People that in the woke community or whatever—I'm yeah. not sure I'm using the word correctly—but I can where people where people are saying what Sam Harris considers irrational things yeah. because they're taking positions that are untenable at societal levels or you know unworkable right. in terms of how society can operate, um, and he's like therefore they're flawed, therefore they're wrong. Yeah. I'm like well. It's all, you know, the, the the other groups that are, everybody's yeah. just campaigning for their positions yeah. and everybody's just kind of trying, maybe people are making unreasonable claims, but everyone is not trying to be reasonable all the time. And if everybody were trying to be reasonable, as we know from any basic negotiations class, if you don't anchor high, yeah. you're gonna end up in a worse position than if you didn't. And there's, right. and that, that, and that, I don't know, maybe I was, <laughs> I'm just old school.
1: But we have to change the, I mean, I would say, but I, but I would say my point is, the woke community has made huge progress, right? I mean, that's the, mm. gay marriage got legalized, mm. transgender started to get protected so fast. So it's like, you guys, you've won a lot, right? Mm. And you look at the economics of the Trump community versus the, you know, you, you so, so guys, you guys got, actually have power now. Mm and people are afraid of you mm-hmm. you know and so i don't agree with you know i mean people who are the people who are you know, this is the people you study the people who are living in rural areas who don't understand these concepts even right. john right. you know and they they and to them they're trying to live their life get to their family be able to have you know do the things they've done all their lives they're not hurting anybody they're not intending to use guns against anybody they don't you know they you know they they don't like the idea of killing a, a, a fetus and that bothers them it's like yeah. you know so they're afraid right. you know? yeah. and, and now you can say and i and i'm a Power guy. Like, I used to be like, you know, I had a, you know, my, my, I call myself an idealistic radical realist. One of my radical ways to get idealism was to, to say no straight white male should be elected to any public office for 50 years. Let's change the fundamental dynamic of our country, right? So I've had like radical thinking, you know, in that in yeah, that regard. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I got pushback from people right. who had of sons, course. straight sons. Like yes. my son can't run for office, right. and they were liberal. Right. And I'm like, okay. So clearly, the radical solution didn't work. But the realism is to say, I think, you know, my view. And again, I'm testing things. So I'm wondering how do you get them? Because I think, yeah, I think some of these people, like Sam Harris, they're too insulting, you know. And so I don't want to insult them and say you're idiots. You know, it's not saying. You know, I think you're. I think you're making some critical errors that aren't going to help your cause. Yeah. And there's, and you know, your strategy didn't work because Trump got elected, right? Yeah. So something went wrong. You we have data, so yeah. it's more about what's the best strategy, right? Yeah. And and I think it's a better strategy, and I think it's also fundamental to the one of the strengths of our country is to to protect free speech when we can, even like we used to let you know Nazis march in Jewish communities because. We we wanted we, we, that was more important, and that's what I think a lot of the like Zimmer, you know, the president of the University of Chicago is trying to promote. Is I think we as a society, it's not a constitutional issue, just free speech. It's it's fundamental to our ability as humans to be successful, and that's been a fundamental why the United States competes so well is that it's protected freedoms in Europe better than places like you know China and you know other places. So that's a it's an advantage. Um, you know and, and the two strengths of the constitution i always think is that it's shared it had shared power right that was the they, they didn't protect many people's rights at the beginning but yeah. it allowed that shared power allowed rights protection to take place over history it was a slow yeah. painful process yeah. but more and more you know even the debate now is much more about debating people who aren't citizens yet right yeah. so that's at least the newest debate how do we treat non-citizens right. but at least
0: what's not talking. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that because I mean I do think one of the, the just as as a way to finish up a little bit. Okay, the, the the one of the one of the big questions I have is, you know, um, you know I consider myself a global citizen. I always have. I maybe was a little more overtly. Challenging of the criti- critical of, of the U.S. than I than I used to be, and and I hate to say it, but I actually watched a video, a YouTube video with Ronald Reagan's uh, a speech, a stump speech he gave years ago, where he pounded, and I caught myself agreeing with him, and I was like, this is, and I, you know, somebody who I know was terrible for you know AIDS, they wouldn't say the word AIDS, and you know, I mean, it was terrible for the gay for for the gay community, but he was pounding the table and saying, you know, the great thing about you know about uh, um, America is I can go into my legislator's office, pound my foot on the table, and go, you're. Screwing up, and I don't agree with you. And he, and 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 the, a Russian. Uh, he at the Soviet. He was talking about right. the Soviet Union. He, he said a Soviet goes into the said I can do the same thing in my country. I can go into my office. I can pound at the table and say say America is screwing up, and they need to be fixed. And he said, and it, and I was and it was like that is. That is it's a it's a it's an intangible thing mm-hmm. after having lived in China. I really feel it and I feel it in a way I haven't um, right. and I'm aware of that free speech that uh, value, but it, 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 is, it does raise for me the question about globalism and about yeah. what the effect is of, of right. globalism.
1: Well, I do want to comment on it wasn't just Reagan that let the gay community down. Yeah. All of America, let the gay community yeah, that down. I mean, no, it's the left it's people. True. Obama, member, you know the some of the things he, you know, that took a while before Joe Biden said something. It's like, what was yeah. that, the Defense of Marriage Act or something? I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like, so it's this. Week you have to, we, you know, <laughs> so everybody let them down. Yeah, we didn't. Well, listen we didn't do enough. So my lovely here.
0: nephew is here, so right. we're going to finish up. Okay. So I thank you for doing this, Jar. This is super fun. Can I read my? Yeah, let's read your poem. poem. Read your poem. All right. So, what's the name of
1: the poem it's it's just called a metaphysical poem
0: all right oh what's this stupid
1: all right okay so this is what i I call them so i just called a metaphysical poem that's the title so it's nothingness boom randomness stuff context change coherence stability sustainability life subconscious conscious narrative reason data metaphysics aesthetics ethics love hope beauty oh wow so cool So, that's
0: all. Those are all the keys. Well, those are (laughs) those.
1: That's that's the underlying nature of reality. Those are the most that that applies to either all life or at least to all things. Not even life, but so that that's the discovery. So anyway, well, thanks, John. I appreciate having this opportunity. Thanks for doing
0: this. I want to thank my guests. Thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank Mary Heinz for doing the editing, Ted Enley for doing the music that starts and ends the podcast. And I'd like to thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for the podcast, I am just getting going and would love to hear feedback from you. If you would like to reach out to me, I'm easily available on Twitter, on the website, secondrail.com. And you can certainly email me as well at gmail.com. I hope you will join me again in a Fortnite for more conversation about education and where it's going.